This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning. Good to see people in church this morning. Because uh, we have been taking quite a beating with these storms coming in on Saturday night and Sunday morning, and uh, our attendance has been negatively affected, as you can imagine. Good to see people back in church. Uh, let me just encourage you to remember that when you're not here, our bills are still here. So if you could be as so kind as to make up for some of the Sundays that you have not been here, that would be helpful to the organization as a whole. Uh, and again, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. I saw this uh, billboard campaign by a Lutheran church, Lutherans, that said, get your ash in church. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Something I had to come up with, right? I felt ashamed that I had not thought of that. But uh, maybe we'll put up a billboard next year saying that would be hilarious. But, uh, but it's Ash Wednesday. It's probably the most traditional service that we do here every year at Celebration Church. It is very traditional uh, with uh, responsive readings, the whole deal. Uh, Bishop Ed will be here, and he tends to be more that way than I anyway. It, but it'll be a great service. And unless you come, the great thing about Ash Wednesday, it just helps you to stop and think and remember that we are mortal. A lot of times we forget that we are mortal. And if we're going to be here forever, we're not going to be here forever. It's always good to reflect on where we stand. We're doing a series about forgiveness. As you saw the uh, scripture at the uh, uh, end of the uh, introduction there from Proverbs, it says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Do you overlook offenses? Most people, sadly, do not. I posted on my Facebook page earlier this week. Every church is filled with forgiven people. Very few churches are filled with forgiving people. We like to be forgiven. Sadly, we struggle to forgive others. At Celebration Church, we talk about our track of knowing God, finding freedom, 
discovering purpose, and make a difference. But when it comes to the finding freedom, it is imperative that one not hold unforgiveness towards another because then you will lose your freedom. One of the reasons so many Christians have never really experienced true freedom is they have never been able to forgive others. And we're doing this series. And as we do this series, let me encourage you, don't get discouraged. And I say that because for some people, forgiveness is an extremely difficult concept for them to grasp. And we don't want you just leaving every Sunday feeling bad because you haven't gotten this yet. Uh, hang in there with us. We're going to show you. We're doing it little, little bits and pieces because we only get you for a few minutes every Sunday. But little bits and pieces about how to get there. We will help you get there. Uh, stay faithful. Keep coming to church. Keep listening. Uh, and we'll show you how to get there. If you're struggling with forgiveness, this isn't designed to make you feel bad. We're just trying to help you get there. Because when you get there, I promise you, it will set you absolutely, gloriously free. Last week, during the blizzard, uh, we had a guest speaker, Pastor uh, Kevin Ramsey, shared his story. Inner city pastor in uh, Detroit uh, came downstairs one night. His family, miraculously, was not home. Unexpected. They were supposed to be home, but they weren't. But he heard some noise, came down, and some guy jumped on him and stabbed him 37 times. And it's an incredible story. If you missed that story, which most of you did, because you couldn't get here, and I understand that, go online. We have these amazing things called, you know, computers. And uh, you can push the little button, and you can hear that message. It is amazing. Just go to our website, celebrationchurch.tv, and you can find those messages. But it's an amazing, powerful story. And after being brutalized, everybody thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to die. He finally talks about how he's laying on the floor after being stabbed so many times, and he felt like God spoke to him and says, get up, your family still needs you. And he goes, he gets up, he says he has to carry his intestines with him. It was gross. It was an unbelievable story. But then how he had struggled and came to a place where he had to be able to forgive the guy who did that to him. I promise you, Pastor Kevin is definitely walking free today. We're thinking about having him come back maybe and do more of his story, because all we got was just a little part of it. Uh, this morning, I'm going to continue on this line now, talking about the idea of forgiveness. And uh, I want to go to the Lord's Prayer. And uh, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse nine, Jesus is teaching the people. This is his Sermon on the Mount. And then he's talking about all these different things. And then he says, this is how you should pray. He doesn't really exactly mean this is exactly how you should pray. I know that we as Christians say the Lord's Prayer. We say it every Sunday here. Uh, many people pray it. Uh, verbatim, and that's fine, but it wasn't really designed so much to be verbatim. This is how, there's, there's, a, there's a way of praying. So he says, this is how you should pray. Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, everybody thinks Jesus has done at this point. What so many people don't understand, have never paid attention to, is he's not done. He keeps talking, exactly tied to what he just said here. Because um, he just said something to them that absolutely blew their minds and troubled them greatly and shocked them immensely. What was it? The fact that we call God our Father, that was radical. They don't, didn't and still don't call God Father much in Judaism. I was in Israel last year, 
And uh, they pray wonderful prayers, but always, uh, God, the eternal creator, oh, thou most omnipotent, powerful God. And, uh, and it's, it's nice and very respectful to God, but it's not the same as saying Father. In fact, in Romans, Paul goes a little bit further. He says, the Spirit of God uh, causes us to cry out, Abba. And, uh, and the reason why they, they've never really translated it is such an intimate word that little children would call their daddies in the Greek language. Uh, just ba- basically very warm daddy, daddy. We call out to him. He's not just this omnipotent, unapproachable being. As much as glorious as he is, he is our father. When Jesus, so when you pray, say, Father, that is radical. Whoa! They had never heard anything like that before. But no, that's not what startled them. He says, well, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that we don't have to wait to die to experience the kingdom of God? That in fact, we can experience God's kingdom right here, right now, on earth, God doing miracles in your life? Yes. Yes, we can. And that's what we strive for. It help us grow in our faith so you can experience God here, not just learn about God here. But as radical as that is, that's not what stunned and shocked them. He says, next, give us today our daily bread. You mean God will help you that he's actually concerned about your daily needs? And he is. A lot of times we think we're on our own. You're not on our own. Even the simplest of things. Some of you uh, have very, we all have varying, uh, varying struggles. It's just the numbers change. Even people who do really well financially can have very challenging times when they, you know, just the numbers change. But God wants to help you every day. Even for the people who can barely make their rent this week, God wants to answer your prayers and bless you so that you can have your daily needs. This, this is very powerful, but that, that didn't rattle them. It was the next verse. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That blew their ever-loving minds. They were raised under the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Somebody punch you in the eye, you punch them back. Somebody knock your tooth out, you knock out two of theirs. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Enemies, vengeance, revenge. Jesus comes and says, God, forgive my sins like I forgive that was shocking and almost horrifying to these people. So how do you know that? Because look what Jesus says next. Remember, he wasn't done talking. He says the Lord's Prayer, we all stop. He didn't stop. He goes on to say, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Are you hearing this? This is very strong language, shockingly strong language. He does the Lord's Prayer, and then right away he's got to clarify that point because he knew that just fried their heads. And for Jesus to make this statement, that if you don't forgive people, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. If you understood, if people would just understand that verse in and of itself, most people would be absolutely set free understanding forgiveness. But we never think about that verse. We hardly even hear about that verse. Most people never read that verse. 
but it's absolutely tied to the Lord's Prayer. Now, let me ask you, what happens to you if your sins aren't forgiven? That's a bad day for you. This is very strong. Now, a lot of people approach forgiveness as it's some kind of an optional thing. Well, you know, I, you know, I've been serving Jesus for 10 years, and I still hate a bunch of people. I just haven't grown in forgiveness yet. And, you know, and, and, and all the stories and excuses I hear from people, I'm not trying to be mean to them, but just people get very defensive. Why? They don't have to forgive people. I, I shouldn't have to forgive people, and I'm still growing. And I think they don't get it. This is not something you grow into. This isn't something that after you get really mature in your faith, you finally attain to. This is Christianity 101. This is the most foundational truth in the Christian gospel. If you don't forgive people, God will not forgive you. This is so shocking, I can hear your brains already snapping this morning. <laughs> that can't be true. That can't be, that can't be true. I remember I was talking to someone the other, uh, the other day. The other decade, actually. <laughs> at, least, at least 10 years, probably 20 years ago, I was in my office. And just going off about how much she hated her ex-husband. And nobody is easier to hate than an ex-husband, I got to tell you right now. You know, ex-anything. You know, they, they can really, they know the buttons to drive you. They knew the buttons when you're married to them. <laughs> when you get rid of them, man, they get good on the buttons. <laughs> And I shared that verse with her, and she stood up, and she yelled, no! <laughs> and she walked out of the room and slammed the door, bam, as hard as she could slam it. Stormed out of the office. It was over here. Everybody thought, well, Pastor Mark's pastoring again. <laughs> when that light went on in her head, she literally stood up and screamed, No slammed the door and walked out. There's no way that can be true. Then we, I, I, I gave you just a piece of this parallel a couple of weeks ago. I want to read the whole one to you. This is in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And you have to know, when he says this, he thinks he is being incredibly generous. He's, you know what I'm saying? They didn't tend to forgive people the first time. Maybe three times if you're on a roll. But Peter, being very holy that day, said, Lord, should I forgive him? You know, up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Other translations say 70 times seven, which is, what, 490 times. In other words, Jesus isn't really saying count up to 70 sometimes. (laughs) The point is he gave such an outrageous number. There is no end to how often you have to forgive people. And then Jesus gave this parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, how in the world anybody wants up that kind of debt? But 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Thank God we don't have those laws today. At this... The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, how he could pay back such a debt, I don't know. It seems unrepayable. But rather than work out even a payment plan with the guy, because he begged him, the servant master took pity on him and just canceled the debt. Forget it. Let him go. Wow. 
See, that's a picture of us. 10,000 bags of gold. Most of us don't have 10,000 coins of gold. Most of us don't have one coin of gold. The debt that we all owe to God is incalculable. There is no way you can repay. And I'm surprised. I think some of the people who have the biggest problem forgiving other people, they don't think they're that bad. Seriously. People who've been really rotten like, you know, me. I don't have a problem with this concept. I just don't. I never have. Anyone who knows me, I don't have a problem letting people go of stuff. Why? Because I, I know me. I know where I've been. And people are like, oh, I think, well, what do you think of me? You're not that bad of a person. Some people literally think, some of you listen to me right now, really, honestly, before God think, you know, I'm not that bad. You have no idea how rotten you are. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? I was feeling good that I listened to him. You have a debt you cannot pay. People will think, well, I'll get into heaven because I'm not that bad. I'm look. They're delusional. They have no idea the debt we owe God. You have 10,000 bags of gold that you need to cough up. You can't do it. And the analogy here is that God just forgives them of everything. But that same servant, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. It's nothing. It's not even worth one coin of gold. He owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay that. He wasn't kidding around. He wasn't threatened. He literally went, got the authorities, showed the debt that was owed. He hadn't paid it. They arrested him and threw him into prison. This is not Brown County lockup here. We're talking 2,000-year-ago prison. This is a nasty place. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, justifiably so. They went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master, then the master called that servant in and said, you wicked little snot. That's my translation. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Now, I don't think they put him on the rack and stretched him out or anything like that. or just for hard labor until he paid back. All he owed, of course, undoubtedly he was in prison for the rest of his life because he could never repay that. And here's the shocking verse. Here's the verse you never hear. The verses I'm reading to you this morning, almost no church ever talks about. Nobody likes it. You don't hear this on Focus on the Family or any of the Christian radio program that's safe for the whole family. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? This isn't even an apostle talking. This isn't some prophet talking. This is, this is Jesus, our Lord himself, who said, if you don't forgive people, God will not forgive you. And if you act like you don't forgive people, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, these are two extreme warnings from the Lord Jesus himself about forgiveness. Warnings designed to put a little bit of fear in us. Now, Christianity tends to take big swings. And if you've been a Christian for some of you geezers my age and older, you've seen it. Think everything swings to one side, everything swings to the other side. And, you know, there was a time where preachers were just all hell and brimstone, you know, fire and brimstone, everybody's going to hell, you know. And now we've swung to the other way where apparently hell doesn't even exist anymore. And he's all, he's like, but don't kid yourselves. 
There are some warnings, some things you should be fearful of. Uh, Deanna's daughter, Brecken, lives with us, you know, 19 years of age, and as is with girls that age, and even some older ones. They love to watch these shows about murderers and <laughs> axe killers and all these kind of weird, creepy things. Yeah, to the point, she walks around paranoid, you know, at night she gets a little fearful. Well, I would too if I watch all that stuff. There was a series out called, what was it, uh, something about survival. I survived, was that what it was called? It, it, was, it shows real life stories. In fact, Kevin was one of these stories on town television about how he survived being stabbed 37 times. And this was fascinating. So I watched like three episodes and I couldn't watch it anymore. Every time someone went, oh, I thought someone was going to get me. <laughs> Creep me out. Yet fearful. There's another one. I don't know why I'm saying this stuff. There's some other series. It's about, what is the name of that show? No, no. He was an axe murderer. He was a killer, but he was a good killer. Dexter. Dexter. I was on a plane with that guy. Even that creeped me out. You know, I, I know he's just an actor, right? And he's over this old man. I hope he doesn't take me out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, he was a good killer because they only killed bad people. I mean, really twisted stuff. Apparently, it's really well written. And everybody said, man, you got to watch this. Man, third episode in, I was, yeah, I couldn't take it anymore. It's creepy to think somebody can take you out. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Really? Because that is a concern of mine. <laughs> I would prefer you not kill me. I have guns in my house. By the way, Kevin has lots of guns in his house now. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's another point. One of the things about forgiveness, people think, well, then you're allowing people to abuse you. No, no. You don't have to let people hurt you. You can get away. You should get away from people who hurt you. Kevin, when he tells a story at one point, he grabs the knife. It's a big yo mama kitchen, that big thick thing. He grabbed it so hard he broke it off. And then he took it. He started stabbing the guy who was trying to stab him. He wasn't just laying around, not fighting back. He was fighting hard. You need to get away from people who hurt you. But even still, we need to forgive those when we get away from them. But he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill your soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, who's he talking about? God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the thing. I guarantee you virtually the vast majority of Christians in America today are way more fearful of Dexter or any, than they are of God. Jesus said, don't even worry about somebody who can kill your body. Who cares? Well, I do. But He said, you know who you ought to be afraid of? God. If you fall short with him. Now, you don't hear this kind of preaching today because we've swung so hard the other way that, you know, nobody ever talks about this. But the reality is, the Bible says, Proverbs, Proverbs 1, 7, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He said, Pastor, what are you saying? That you believe in hell? Yeah. Yeah, hell is a very real place, and that's to be taken seriously. Now, we don't go around just yelling hell at people, trying to get them to convert. That's not a very effective form anyway. And in doing that, it used to put a lot of Christians in fear. They thought they were going to hell every five minutes because they you know, just kick the dog or something. You know, and, that's, and that doesn't work that way. But having said that, as we swing the other way, let us not forget, hell is a very real place. Now, it's been interesting over the last many years, people have debated about hell. 
So, you know, Pastor, when Jesus used the word hell, it was the same word they used for uh, the garbage pile outside Jerusalem that was always burning and smelly and stuff. And? It's like people are trying to say, you know, hell's not that bad of a place. Oh, I think it's a really bad place. Besides, how do you know that that place wasn't named after hell? Because it was always burning. But even if hell is nothing but a stinky, rotten pile that's burning, I don't want to be there. People say, well, well, is hell really fire and brimstone? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's bad. Have you heard these arguments? Well, I don't know hell's really burning. What are you saying? It's like we're trying to say, ah, come on, hell can't be that bad. Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't care if hell is being locked in the same room for eternity and forced to watch the same rerun of I Love Lucy. I don't want to go there. I want nothing to do with it. The thought of hell at some point, now we are not supposed to be motivated to repent just by fear, but there is a respectful fear. Jesus said, hey, don't worry about who can kill you, man. You've got to worry about God if you, if you miss out on this stuff. Eternity's a long time. Say, Pastor, are you ever concerned about, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. Well, what is it? Who knows? Who cares? Jesus said one time, it's like being thrown into outer darkness where there's yelling, screaming, and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like a bad time to me. I don't want to go. What are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that unforgiveness could put my soul in jeopardy? Well, I don't know what's it sound like to you. Now, while we cannot earn forgiveness, forgiveness is a gift from God, clearly, according to what Jesus said, a very strong indication that unforgiveness can put you in a really bad place. The point of all of this is that for us, if you are a true follower of Christ, forgiveness is not an option. It is a command given to us with extremely stern warnings of what will happen to us if we don't do it. Now, whenever you talk about this, people seem to go way out of their way to explain why they don't have to forgive. <clears throat> We've been doing posts on my Facebook page over the last week or so about forgiveness. And you, you see all the people, oh, I, don't, I don't believe I have to let people hurt me. No one's talking about letting people hurt you, as I just said. No one's talking about approving. And, and forgiveness doesn't mean the bad person wins. It just means we have to forgive people. And I don't know what your story is, but none of you here has a story that makes it so that you don't have to forgive somebody. I don't care who you are. We have Kevin. I'm, I'm thinking about bringing some other people. You know, we have limited funds, especially when we get snowed out half of the winter. There's other people I want to bring us have powerful stories that you can't even begin to compete with. And they've all learned the power of forgiveness. It is truly amazing. Nobody here, I don't care how mean your daddy was, I don't care how mean your mama was, I don't care how insensitive your teacher was or your brother who took your stuff when you were a kid or whatever your story is. There is no version that you have that means you don't have to forgive somebody. You have to forgive them. Now, as I said in the beginning, don't be discouraged. A lot of people really struggle with this. I mean, they really struggle. So, well, now I feel like I'm going to hell. Well, look, Christ is our hope and our salvation. As long as you get this and understand and ask God to help you. People would come to Jesus and say, you know, can you help me? He says, well, if you have enough faith. And they cry, help my faith. Admitting they don't have it. If you admit, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I can't do this. Help me, God, to forgive so-and-so. 
Well, that changes everything. The warning is you can't just ignore it and stay bitter and angry in your heart toward people. And it's hard not to because people can be really nasty, unbelievably nasty. But when you hang on to that, it locks you in a prison of your own making and you will not have freedom. And, and again, what do these verses mean? People will argue about that. It doesn't sound good to me. So it doesn't mean we're going to lose our self. I, I don't know what it means. All I know is it sounds really bad. I think you're in a bad place when you're in a place where literally Jesus says, if you don't forgive people, God will not forgive you. That can't be good. I don't know what it means. It could be everything from the worst to just not being blessed. I don't, I don't care whatever. I want to be in the blessed category. The point of it is that this is not optional for us. And how so many Christians think this is optional is stunning to me. They're just not reading all the scriptures. I'm not trying to condemn you. I want the Holy Spirit to convict you. And there's a difference. First Thessalonians, Paul says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, deep conviction. Conviction shows you what you're doing is wrong. The light goes on. You see yourself. And it brings a sense of godly sorrow that leads you to change. That's what I'm wanting for, is that the Spirit of God would convict any of us who are holding on to stuff to people and, and, and holding things against people. Let the convicting power of the Holy Spirit come on you to show you the way out. Condemnation says, you're wrong, you're doomed, there's no way out for you. That is not what I'm doing. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I never try to condemn anyone. There's always an out. There's always a way out. If you think, oh, gee, oh, I can never get, then you're not getting this message. If you think, oh, I just feel condemned because oh, I got this guy, then you're not hearing me. I want conviction to come that says, you need to change. Let me help you change. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to help you change. It starts with realizing this is not an option. I realize for many of you, and that's why I said at the beginning, don't get discouraged. For some of you, it might take another couple of months before this gets free for you. I don't know how long. Maybe it'll take a year before you finally get this. But I just want to get the truth of God's word in you so he's pointing you in the direction where the spirit of God can bring you to a place where he can set you free. We have to forgive people. And the more you realize the debt you owe, the easier it is to forgive. And if you're struggling with forgiveness, it might be because you don't really think you're all that bad. We're not talking about condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can do this. You can forgive everyone and anyone who has ever hurt you. You can and we must. The good news is that God will give you the strength to do it. We need to remember, I have been forgiven of much. Therefore, I must forgive others of much. And when you do this, you will find a place of freedom that you never thought was possible. The happiest, most joyful Christians in the world are the ones who aren't mad at anybody. They're just not mad. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not. I walk around happy. I walk in 7-Elevens. People say, what, what have you been drinking? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> what have you been smoking? Nothing. Why are you so happy? I'm free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. You say, Pat, that's, that's because no one's done anything bad to you. <laughs> oh, I got, oh, I got a list. You should see my list. 
Oh, God, actually, I have to stop and think about it because I just don't think about it. But I, if I think about it, I get, ooh. People have done terrible things to me. And people have terrible things have done to all of you. But you want to get free? You really want to walk in freedom? And I know you do. Nobody likes being locked up. Man, there is such joy. The greatest joy is not just those who claim to have been forgiven, but those because they have been forgiven are freely forgiving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth, your kindness and grace. Lord, the Holy Spirit has to do this work. I, uh, the scriptures can be a hammer sometimes without the spirit of grace. And we ask for the spirit of grace to fall on all who are hearing me today. There's people today, Lord, that are listening to me who have been very, very deeply hurt and are very, very angry. But Lord, help them to realize that the key to their freedom is to let others go free. Help us to take your word seriously when we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and get ready to serve communion at our various campuses. Um, maybe all of this is really new to you. Maybe you haven't taken even that first step or you've asked Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins because that's where it starts. Once you've been forgiven and then turn around and freely forgive others. But it all starts by understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Anyone who thinks that when Jesus talks like this, like he's, God wants to send people to hell, God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. If he wanted to send people to hell, he would not have gone into this earth, been abused and suffered, crucified on a cross. He went through all that because he doesn't want to send anybody, not a single one. His desire, the Bible says, is that everyone should be coming to repentance and find freedom. He paid the ultimate price so that we could all be free. But we have to make a choice. The first choice is to accept Christ into our lives so that we can expect or experience the forgiveness of sins in our own personal lives. We're about to take communion. This is when we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us so we could have forgiveness of sins. And if you've never truly asked Christ in your life, we're going to say a prayer together right now. If you'll pray this prayer with us, you can take your first steps of faith today and start opening this new path of walking in true freedom in your life. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much. You went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life to set me free to forgive me of my sins that I might also forgive others.